Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Jesus Christ. Please be seated. And the father said to his faithful son, Don't you know? Everything I have is yours. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord, uh, this gospel is a parable, a story, and there's many parables, especially in the New Testament, and some sort of parables in the Old. And they're always trying to teach us something. And the father in the parable is God the Father. And the son is, of course, Jesus Christ. So, when Jesus Christ came into the world, to the incarnation, he came to do the Father's will. In John's Gospel, he says, I and the Father are one. And he proceeded to do the Father's will by teaching us the theology and the existence of the Holy Trinity, and finally the second person Holy Trinity. He died on the cross, rendered his passion before that, ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father, which he had never left. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is the giver of all gifts. Now, you know, we think that we have the right to everything. That's sort of an American notion. Most of the world is happy if they have a place to live and food. They're not as wealthy as we are. And all those gifts, too, that we have in this country, they're actually gifts from God. But our nation does not appreciate God in the gifts. Although in the Houses of Congress is written in stone, in God we trust. That's sort of a lie. There are many, many other people who do not put their tr full trust in God. And what good does that do you? Are you going to escape death? Are you going to be rich? Are you going to take that all with you? He used to say to the people, there's no U-Hauls behind hearse. Interesting. And so, the parable, uh, of course, normally, fathers leave their goods and their fortune to their sons. And of course, with Christ's death and resurrection, he has all the fortune of the Father, too. Because he and the Father are one, and there's, they each have a will, 
You know, remember, there's a human will and a divine will in Christ, in the hypostatic union. But after the time, especially in his human nature, as much as we can stand about it, he was operating through his human will, because his divine will was always in union with the Father's will. The Holy Spirit is always in union with the Son's will. And the three are one will in harmony, with three distinct wills. Unfortunately, this parable can also be applied to our relationships with our Father, our natural Father, who gave us life. And uh, somehow, in our society, we get separated from our fathers. And uh, that's not good. I don't say that your father has to dominate everything you do, but we should obey him and we should please him. So my own father, I said, Dad, is there anything I would do which displease you or make you not proud of me? He says, if only she left the church. So you must stay in the church. And uh, I always wanted to have the approval of my father. Boys are like that. And sometimes it's hard to get the approval of your father because he's not exactly uh, forthcoming or he's not exactly, uh, he's watching, he's waiting to what will happen, what you're going to do what kind of life you're going to live. Now, girls have it easier, actually, because uh, fathers are sort of sweet on their daughters, and uh, they pray for them that they will not be harmed. But even in that case, they should be careful. They should care, watch over their daughters and know they come to no harm. And that's a big deal. So she brings this, you know, handsome man home and she's going to, she says, Dad, we're getting married. You better find out who she's marrying, what kind of life she's going to have. So I meet, you know, I married a couple down here in, in the Italian church a few years ago. I didn't know him. Some other priest prepared them for marriage. I just came into town because they were Byzantine, they wanted to have a Byzantine wedding. And I just met her at the funeral recently. And she'll remain nameless. I say, how's it going? He says, well, how's your husband? She says, well, he's divorced, we're divorced, but we're still friends. What does that mean? How could you be friends with a woman that would divorce you or cheat on you or a man that would uh, do a thing like that? So just recently, I, you know, everywhere I'm at, I'm always talking to people about the gospel and about the Catholic Church. It's just part of, part of me. I met this girl and she, she's, she, she was willing to talk a little. And she says, well, I'm divorced. 
And I said, well, why are you divorced? He says, he committed adultery. How sad. You know, the prodigal son, he was like that. He took the wealth of his father and he didn't work for it. His dad worked for it. Usually I remember when I was a boy and my grandparents died, I asked them if they left me anything. My aunts and uncles says, you have to wait your turn. And when my father died, I got my turn. Because they were thrifty people and decent people. That means they lived a moral life and their eye was on the family and they did leave a substantial amount of money to the family. They came from Europe with nothing, but they stuck together. They raised their children. They didn't go out to entertainments. They didn't go out into the world too much. They went to work, they stayed at home. Their entertainment was the family. And I was a little bit spoiled. I, I got to go to different things that they checked out and make sure I, what I was reading and where I was going. And they gave me a curfew. They wanted me home and I get home at night. I see them all sitting there waiting for me to come in the door. I was watched over. Good, good, good upbringing. It's difficult today when our children are too far away from the home and they want to have friends. Who are these friends? What do they talk about? What impression are they making on your children? Your best friend is your parents. Your best friend is your home not running around like some animal in the forest. And our main home is always the church. Sometimes we forget that. We don't stay close to our Lord near the holy table. It was interesting uh, when the bishops were here, and myself, I'm a prelate, so I acted as the third bishop. And we consecrated the holy altar. And we put relics in it. The relics of the apostles are in this altar. Uh, and then the bishops said prayers. We washed the altar. We put a special, we anointed the altar with chrism. We put a special cloth on it that when it rots, we'll take it off and put it under the altar and we'll put a new one. It takes a long time. And then we put three cloths on the altar 
the, like the winding robes of Christ. And some altars also have pyramids, different colors they put up. I don't do that here. It's just too much work for me. But I did that in the parish, to reflecting the holidays. So on all the corners of the altar in the center, you were anointed with the oil with the cross, and uh, it was cut into the wood just a little bit. And there was holy wax, and the bishops poured, poured the wax onto the mensa, the table of the altar, and pushed it down on the legs. Then after that, they went out and well, they anointed the sides of the church, and they went out, and they sprayed the whole altar with the outside of the altar, and they consecrated the ground. So uh, it's consecrated ground, holy to God, because this is the temple of the Lord. This is your home. This is where you come to be with God. This is where you come to pray. When you're in trouble, you're in need, you're disappointed, your heart is broken, you come to pray. The holy table is here. And we're fed from the holy table by the body and blood of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the holiest thing. And the relics of the saints are in the holy table because you're part of their family. It's a holy place. Uh, the family meal is the Holy Eucharist. And how does that affect you? It gives you the grace, deifying grace, the one with your the elder amongst us, the great high priest, Jesus Christ. So anyway, I mentioned this before to you. There was an article in the Vatican magazine, this card looks it out, he says, everybody's a priest. Well, what did he mean by that? You're a priestly people because you were baptized, introduced you to the Father's house, you were chrismated, giving you the faculties to worship God by the holy unction, and finally you were named during that process. And the third thing we brought to the holy altar as a member of the household to receive the Holy Eucharist. This is your home. This is all of our homes, and this is what makes us a community and a family. Unfortunately, some churches are not too uh, friendly. Well, that's sad. We should always be welcoming new, new people into the family of God, and we have the means to do that. Now, the prodigal son, what was the tragedy of his life? Not that he took his dad's money and blew it, although in wise families, you teach your children to save money, and you leave them money if you can. And we should always be planning our fortune in such a way that it goes down through the family and is not ruined. 
So in the United States, after immigrants come here, after three generations, they're pretty wealthy and they're also very educated. So people would say to me, what can I do for my children? I said, educate them. Not just in the university or doctors or lawyers or things like that. But first of all, educate them where their family is. In the household of God. So this young man, he decided to leave home. I meet people all the time that are like ex-Catholics. met one the other day. And because her marriage blew up in her face, she's not practicing. I said, well, that's not a reason to leave the church. Well, I'm divorced. Well, that's not a reason to leave the church. You're divorcing me the church more than ever. You want to remarry, that's a different question. You have to figure out that first marriage was valid or not and get it annulled or dissolved. But the church is willing to look at those things. It's understanding. It's a good mother. Uh, I feel sorry for that man. I can't imagine a life without sacraments, without the beauty of the church, the holy icons, the holidays. Some people are, live all their lives and they never have Easter and Christmas and birthdays and names days and all these things that you do in the family of the church. How could he leave all that? The other problem is if you're going to get married, where are you bringing that person to? She be married in the church. So frequently you have to get a dispensation for a Catholic. Catholics are not permitted to marry outside the church for a good reason. They may lose their faith in their house. Everything that shines isn't gold, you know. But you might see in that woman or man, within years, it will just crash. Because they'll age. They won't be that beautiful person you married. But if they have a beautiful heart and they're faithful to you, you've had a prize. And you should learn to get along together. If you have beautiful children, they're all good from God. Some of them may not be quite as beautiful as you'd like, but they're still a gift from God, and you still have to raise them properly. We do not believe you should allow your children to grow up and not say, well, they'll make their own decision. That's not right. The Catholic Church is the church founded by God. Not all these things you are springing up around you, especially in the United States. You must stay faithful to the people of God by being your family and you living a Catholic life. So years ago when I was a young priest in the parish, I had a liturgy of thanksgiving for a couple. They were married 75 years. 
great privilege to be married that long, to keep your partner. And uh, I used to see him in church. When he, she, he'd lost, uh, she had a hard time walking. And I said to, you know, being ang ang anxious to help them out, I said, well, I can come down for the communion with the Holy Gifts and give her communion in the pew. He says, no. She says, no, he can help me. We can help each other. <laughs> we can receive our Lord together. They were married. And they had a big party. They had about, uh, I would say they had maybe, I'm just guessing, over 100 descendants. They were fruitful in their marriage. And they were building the church. All these people were in the church practicing Catholics. It's particular to the Slavs in our church who value these things as we value our liturgy. So you, some, you young people too, all of us, we should be able to walk into a temple like this and explain what it is. It's just not a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place. But to explain everything in the temple to a visitor, it might attract them to the household of God, the church. Well, the prodigal came back, and his father had a big party. That's reason for a party. You should celebrate the successes also of your children and your grandchildren, and some of you are your great-grandchildren. And glorify God, they're all in, I hope, the Byzantine Catholic Church. It's a magnificent church has everything. It's actually the Church of the Apostles. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the party. The celebration of the Holy Eucharist, receiving the body and blood of the Lord, and living in the glory of his light. Body, soul, and divinity. Pure heart, pure body, pure mind, and a heart filled with the light and love of God. That is the life of a Christian. So he came back to that. Jesus says, welcome the sinner. So these, these disinformed Catholics, he tried to encourage them to come back to the church. They're like orphans. In Slavonic, we call an orphan a sedinyak. And Jesus was an orphan. It's interesting. How was Jesus an orphan? He was away from his father's house. In the world, doing his father's will. In his resurrection, he returned to his father's house. Beautiful. I think that we should stay so close to the church like glued paper. She, we should be stuck to the church. We should love the church. 
and the things of the church. You don't have to worry about everything else. When uh, candidates come to the monastery, I have a little film I show them, a monastic life in an Orthodox monastery down in West Virginia. I'm not particularly mirrored with the Orthodox because they have, they have many problems, just like we have many problems. And uh, But I particularly like that film. And he tells them, the young people coming to the monks, he says, don't worry about your the other monks in the monastery. Don't worry about other people's problems. You live the life as best you can and pray for your brother. Don't put your nose in other people's business. They ask you, you say, I'll pray for you. Don't give advice. Send him to a priest or somebody who knows what all that's all about. Don't be a big mouth and know it all. Be quiet and gentle and live the life of Christ. If you're noisy and you're not gentle, you're not imitating Jesus Christ. Who went like a lamb to the slaughter. That means he went silently, not complaining. And he had a chance, he was tempted to try to get away. Who's he tempted by? Satan. And he said to Satan, I've come to do the Father's will. And it was even, as we say in the Gospel, death on the cross. No matter how rich you are, how beautiful you are, how attractive you are to other people, you must embrace the cross. Because all those things fade. Not that they're not valuable, they're gifts from God. But our greatest gift is our holy Catholic faith and the holy table. Where we are fed on divinity and become partakers of the divine nature. So in Peter it says, first chapter, second verse, you are will be partakers of divine nature. And I used to think about that. How is that possible? But for the Christian, the energy that come from the Trinity, the uncreated energies, are from the interior life of the Trinity. They come and abide in you. And you are a partaker of the divine nature. And on the last day you'll rise up and you'll have a resurrected body like Jesus Christ. You will go into the Father's house in our beauty, glory, and honor. And you'll learn there who your first love was. And hopefully we'll see all the people we love there, and they're going to say, well good, well done, well done. Saints are going to cry out, well done. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.